from chapter 2, verse 1 through 7 from the Gospel of Luke. And we'll be reading from the NIV, or you can follow along on the two screens up above. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee uh, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, it's it's okay to say that now. I wonder what kind of story we have fallen into. That's the question that um, is from the Lord of the Rings, which uh, is a, a very theologically rich story, if you know that, about that. And um, it's asked by Sam Gamgee of his friend Frodo. These are two small uh, hobbits. And they are on the edge of Mordor, which is this very evil place. Uh, and they're small enough in stature and in... Um, in uh, whatever, that they're just small and, and they're not seen by the evil eye of Soren. Too small to be noticed, how's that? Sometimes it's good to be short. And uh, they ask that question, what kind of story? Now they don't know the end of the story and it's a question, it's such a probing question for all human beings and hobbits, I guess, but that we don't know the end of the story, and when we're in the middle of the story, we don't know how it's going to turn out. And so as we hear about Joseph and Mary, they get this decree, this order from on high, and they begin to walk to Bethlehem, which is about maybe 90 to 100 miles south of Nazareth, where they were. And they must have asked that sort of that question, what kind of story have we fallen into? You know, we don't know. I mean, there's many genres of movies. There's, uh, there's the adventure dramas, which I'm always the star of, if you ask my wife. You know, like, you know. Uh, there's the superhero uh, stories. There's tragedies, stories that just don't end well. And then there's comedies and tragic comedies and all those different genres. And what kind of story have we fallen into is a very good question for anyone who is in the middle of a story. And my suggestion is that we are all in the middle of the story. And the Bible, in fact, is one great drama that um, is... All the characters in this drama are, it's interesting, you look at their lives and where are they in the story and if we can see it because we can read from the beginning to the end and there is a curtain that comes down at the end of the story. The Bible is very clear on that. And then another curtain opens up, it's called eternity. And we find ourselves, you know, on this side of the timeline and... um, we, we believe that that is the end of the story or the beginning of the new story and that we find ourselves in the middle of this story. But we now walk by faith. And so last week I used this sort of device to help us 
a bunch of letters thrown together, and you can make sense out of them in two different ways. God is nowhere. When we're in the middle of our story, when Sam was there with Frodo, wondering how it was going to end, you can feel like God is nowhere. And then you, if the story goes in the right way, God is now here. And that makes for a beautiful story. And that's the story the Bible gives us. I want to give you a word for your journey, your story. And it's a, it's, it's a beautiful word. Uh, it's, it's a, I, I don't do this very often, but I want to give you this Greek word, epikorgia. It's the arranging of things in a way to supply for needs. Now, it comes from a place in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, where Paul says, through your prayers to the Philippians, and he's in jail, he's in, an, in a, what would seem like a God is nowhere situation, dark, and he's waiting. Through your prayers and the epicorgia of the Holy Spirit, I know that I will be delivered. And so what word in the English language do we get from this Greek word, choreography, the choreography of God. You're in the middle of your story, and there should be a peace that comes upon your heart as you hear that word choreography, because you know what it is when we do it. If something's well choreographed, every place, everything has their place, and there's a good end to it. That's what Paul is saying, and that word is a word that helps us as we find ourselves in the middle of these stories that we've fallen into. You get it? And so we're going to look this morning at this, this question of waiting, the waiting world, on a big scale. And then we're going to look at how that sort of ties into our own lives. And we develop, here's what we're trying to do, is develop our heart vocabulary as people who wait because we're all going to be waiting. You'll be waiting in traffic tomorrow, I predict. I'm a prophet. But it just, these, these, are the, these are the words that help us get along. When you, when you know that God is the ultimate choreographer of your life, um, you will have peace. So we're going to um, look at, I'm going to do some history this morning, uh, a little of that, but we're going to get towards our lives. So in those days comes out of the text, and then we'll look at the idea of the waiting world, and then God's choreography. Are you ready for some history? Not everybody is, I can tell. But I'm going to give it to you anyway. In those days, in those days. So Luke doesn't begin with once upon a time. He begins with in those days. He wants you, the reader, to know that this is on the calendar of history. What I'm telling you right now is actually, um, is specifically, it, it happened on a, it doesn't say Wednesday or Thursday, Friday, whatever, but it happened on a particular day. Now, the odd thing is, this, the events that we're going to be looking at happened in 4 BC, and people often ask, how could Christ be born before Christ? <laughs> right? 4 BC is when we believe that first Christmas was, and here's the reason, here's the answer. There was a pope in the 5th century who was math-challenged, <laughs> And he made an error, and by the time they caught the error, it was too late. So, 4 BC, Christ was born. Now, the the promise of Christ being born goes back roughly 2,000 years to a man named Abraham who had a wife named Sarah, and it was impossible for them to have kids. And the promise was that you will have kids, and they will become so prominent through grandchildren, etc., etc., that you're going to be blessed in such a big way and then you will be a blessing to the whole world. So, just real quick, 
But that problem, we're 2,000 years later now in, in 4 BC roughly. So is God slow in keeping his promises? I mean, this is a question that Peter deals with in one of his letters. Is God slow? And Peter says, no, he's not slow. Uh, he'll get there. Um, but, you know, it's halfway through that history is Israel's greatest moment. David, just for a window in time, 70 years, Israel is a great nation in the world of nations. And then after David, so 500, so 1,000 years to get to David, and then 500 years of pretty bad kings and leadership and stuff going on in Israel that ends up in an exile to Babylon. The people aren't even in Israel anymore. And they go to Babylon. It's not good. Dark moments, lots of waiting. And then Israel comes back, or 10% of the population comes back. 90% of the population of uh, the, the Jewish population is scattered in the world. We'll come, you'll see how that works into this choreography here in a minute. 10% comes back to Jerusalem, and from that point on, they are a puppet nation. They are no longer a real nation. They are under these great empires called Persia and Alexander the Great in Greece, and then finally, what we read about here is Rome. So, uh, is, is God, what's he, what's he doing? What's he up to in his story? Why is it going like this? And we have these voices we talked about last week. How long, O oh Lord, how long? Where are we in this story that we have fallen into? So that's Israel, and then the whole world, which is really where we want to go today. Is there a sense in which is, the whole world is waiting for this event in 4 BC? And we have to dig for that a little deeper because they're waiting, but they really don't know it. Here's, here's what we, we might mean by that. There's, there's evidence, great, a lot of evidence, that in the first century, so the world that Jesus came into, people were tired of paganism, which is a religion based in superstition that has multiple gods, and if you do the right things, you can manipulate your god who is over your geographical area. People were kind of sick and tired of that stuff. Didn't seem to really add up. And then there was a more sophisticated form of that that came out of Greek culture, kind of these mystery religions of Greek, which is a little bit what we would say is New Agey. Um, but there were, again, multiple gods, and it was basically the same thing. If you do the right things, if you do the religious things, you make the right sacrifices, your God will do for you what you want him to do for you. As a po- and, and, and so then, uh, we, what we know from history is that many people in the Greek and Roman world, or the Mediterranean world, or the Roman world, as it became called, were sick and tired of that kind of stuff. And so they were drawn to the God of Israel. Remember, what did I say about being scattered? These Jews were all over that world. Now, they had synagogues in places like Spain and Africa and even into parts of Asia. And these synagogues were, were, where Jews got together and they talked about this God who was one God. Not many gods, but one God over all the world who gave you what was right and what was wrong and he let you know the score. There wasn't wasn't any room for manipulation. So it was different and people were attracted to that God and there was a spiritual hunger in the Roman Empire. As I would say in my best, in my days when I'm not a cynic, I believe there's a spiritual hunger today. I really do. I believe that people really do, deep down, want God. Okay, 
So those, in those days, you're, you're, you're in this empire. I'm going to build a case here that God is, is choreographing things. So in this waiting world, in those days, Caesar Augustus sent out a decree. Who is Caesar Augustus? Augustus. Caesar Augustus? <laughs> you're awake. He's not the inventor of Caesar salad, nor Orange Julius, but Julius Caesar was his uncle. Caesar Augustus was the uncle of, um, Caesar, or, um, Julius Caesar was the uncle of Caesar Augustus. So um, he lived from 27 BC so, to 14 AD, so 4 BC is right in the middle of that, right? And he's the emperor of Rome. He was sometimes tempted to be worshipped, kind of like some of us, right? We like that. He was sometimes confused with being a god, and so one of the titles that he would wear was Son of God, Savior of the World. He didn't come right out and say that's who he was, but he allowed that to happen. It's politically expedient to be confused with a god, and so um, that's who Augustus or Caesar Augustus is. He had an um, um, amazing capacity to unify this, this huge uh, empire. And there were many roads built. So this is, this is going to get really important when we talk about the choreography of God here. Roads built. But he also had the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome, enforced by an army of a half million, which was a big army in those days. And there was the Lex Romana, the law of Rome. There was order in the empire. There was peace in the empire. And they had a, a language in the empire called Greek, which had come down from the Greeks of Alexander the Great. And so you, it was easily translata- translatable. All of this stuff is setting up for the events that are in our little story here. A decree goes out. If that decree had gone out 100 years earlier or 100 years later, historians say it wouldn't have had the same impact. This, this particular time was ripe. Hearts were ready to receive. They wanted something different than they had had before. And the communication systems were there. The environment was there to receive whatever the message was. Paul says in Galatians 4 that the Son of God came in the fullness of time. The fullness of time. And I would argue he comes to us in the fullness of time. That there's, a, there's, there's times that are just pregnant with, uh, in our, our waiting hearts to receive what he has for us. So it's a perfect storm. The fire is laid. All we need is a match. And the decree goes forth. So let's get to the, the fun part here. God's choreography. Um... The decree goes out, and Joseph and Mary are in Nazareth, and what would they have thought? I mean, oh no, ninth month of pregnancy, and we have to travel this far. I mean, that, that's, it's a challenge. Where are we in this story that we have fallen into? I wonder. So a, a couple of things that might help us here. Have you heard of the butterfly effect? And um, that... As I understand it, it's, um, and 
I, I, I'll just come clean. I understand it because I looked on Wikipedia. So there you go. Um, but as I understand it, and I, and I've, I actually saw a documentary on it one time. But the, the the gist of it is that when a butterfly flaps its wing in the Amazon. And by the way, that's a river in South America, not a company in Seattle. <laughs> it the cause uh, it causes just this little thing that happens when a butterfly flaps its wing. Uh, sets off a ravaging storm over half of Europe. I think that's the original quote. Or how about a rainstorm in Seattle? <laughs> the butterflies were flapping this week, you know. But um, it, it's that idea that one, one little thing starts things in motion. The machinery begins to grind. And we don't know where it's going to end. Remember, we're in the middle of the story. So another Another way of talking about this would be, I'll let you fill in the blank here, if I can find the, the law of unintended consequences. Have you experienced that yourself? You know, it's pretty much the whole story uh, of the Garden of Eden, where they, they grasped for something more, and they got, they got whacked from behind. But... Anyway, it happens a lot in life. And Caesar Augustus made that decree. That's the first domino. And it begins to set off. And the reason I use that illustration is because actually Christianity conquers the Roman Empire eventually. He had no idea when he signed that decree. You know why he signed the decree? Because he needed taxes why did he need taxes or tax money? Because his army was so big. So in, in, in just signing that decree that went out through this system, is God, uh, God is a choreographer. This is what, it, and we're going to see how that comes into our, our own lives. One of the things that might help us would be um, to understand this would be to understand the difference between immediate cause and ultimate cause. Sometimes people will say proximate cause and ultimate cause. And it gets you, this, this gets used, this contrast gets used in lots of places, but we're, it's a very theological, uh, uh, there, there's, there's a good uh, use of it with theology. Here, here's how it might go. The um, immediate cause for Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem was... A decree. You're going to do what the emperor says, just like everybody else. Otherwise, things don't go well for you. So you do what you're supposed to do. Um, The ultimate cause is that God had ordained that this Messiah would be born, well, some 800 years earlier, that he would be born in Bethlehem, the town of David. So I want you to get this idea of, of ultimate cause, immediate cause and ultimate cause being part of the choreography of God. The reason that, that you're here, or that you're, I should say, alive today, you might say, well, my parents, um, you were conceived, hopefully in an in in act of wonderful love. We were all conceived. But the ultimate cause is because God had you on his mind from before the foundation of the world, you see. This is how it works. So the immediate cause, and, and science is always concerned with immediate cause. I mean, when, when science starts getting into ultimate cause, it, it overreaches. But um, 
another another one from from the Bible would be uh, Jesus. Um, the immediate cause of Jesus dying on a cross was because another decree from another Roman official named Pontius Pilate that he would be that he should be killed on a cross. The ultimate cause is because God loves this world so much that he gave his only son. You see, that's the ultimate cause. So we're always dealing, it seems like, or frequently dealing with this contrast between immediate cause and ultimate cause in our lives. Now, when, back to this, let's see here if I can, there it is. God is nowhere. God is now here. When we focus on the immediate cause, we end up, not a direct link, but we oftentimes end up with that sense of God is nowhere. And when we focus, if we can get our eyes lifted higher, I lift my, my eyes to you, O Lord, we can become aware that God is now here. So the ultimate cause helps us to see that God is now here. Now, I, I, this is all uh, in the category of, okay, ideas and thoughts. Uh, The challenge that somebody like me has on a a Sunday morning is to somehow get this personal to you and to me and to you so that we're we're actually looking and thinking right now about how God has choreographed my life. Are you thinking that way? Because I want you to think that way. And I really believe it's fair to ask that question. How has God choreographed your life? If you were to to go back and, and, um, you know, go back in time from when you were born to today, What is the story that you have fallen into, that you find yourself in? And, you know, the the twists and the turns, no story is a straight line. We're all, it's it's a miracle that we're here. I mean, there's there's lots of things that have happened along the way. So I want to just illustrate that by um, sharing my story with you in a brief fashion. And uh, I've done that before, but, you know, it, it has many dimensions to it. So I was in my college years, and by the way, I'm thrilled to see all you college-age kids here today. Kids, young adults, whatever you are. I love you. Um, but that's where I was. And um, it, it had, I had my atheist uh, uh, journey in that time, and, and then uh, I had a friend who was, I, I found out, kind of found out later, surreptitiously, he was praying for me. That's fair. If you have a friend who's praying for you, it's okay. And, um, and then he would patiently talk to me about God's love in Christ. I'm very patient. And through that process, I began to warm up. Uh, my cold heart, my atheistic heart began to thaw, and I began to warm up, and I was comfortable with the idea of God, the concept of God. God is a category of life to think about. I was okay with that. That's movement, folks. That's progress. But it's not, it's not quite there. And so then in a, a, a period of my life that, I would, that it ended up lasting really about two months, uh, I, I went into this emotional uh, low point. Have you ever, has am I, anybody else ever had an emotional low point <laughs> where, you know, just something happened, you get slammed and it was down and you kind of, uh, it's like, who am I? Especially when you're 24 years old, I think there's more of that questioning of who am I? What is my story? Do I have a story? Where's my life going? 
Is there a God? All these questions that were coming at the heart. Now, at that same time, in the, in the middle of those two months, I, had, I got an invitation. You might begin to, th- to hear some choreography here. I got an invitation to be in uh, my, my good friend, who I just saw a couple of months ago, from middle, uh, junior high. We were good friends. And when we get together today, we still act like we're in junior high. It's a lot of fun. It's great to have old friends like that. Don't ask what we do, but there you go. So um, he was getting married, and it was in Edmonds. And uh, I said, yeah, he asked me if I would be in his wedding party. I said yes, and uh, I didn't know you know, more than you just show up, right? At the rehearsal dinner, that's how it works. And I got there, um, and I was, choreography of God, I was paired up in the wedding party with his sister who had become a recent Christian. And at the rehearsal dinner, she asked me that question, uh, Mark, have you uh, trusted your life to Jesus Christ? And I, you know, you have to either say yes or no, right? And I tried to find a third answer. <laughs> And it didn't work. And so um, she said, well, well, would you like to talk more afterwards? And I said, okay. There, there's a, I, you know, keep your options open, right? You know, I know that feeling. So we ended up uh, afterwards um, having a conversation. And here's the deal. I've, I've said, I had said no to that question before. I just know I'm not ready I'm or whatever. Or give me time or whatever. But when you get this sense of God choreographing your life, where you're looking at how the dots connect in your story. And you have a hunch that it's not just random, that there actually is a story there that's going somewhere. And how could all this happen? How could all these things line up without there being a choreographer? And for that reason, I said, yes. Yes, I would like to do that. God had arranged my story for that moment, at least as a starting point for a new life. And there were lots of immediate causes, but there was this ultimate causer that was in there, this lover. And I I just know that there are, like if I could see the bubbles above your heads right now, there would be different bubbles and they would say different things and you would say, I get that sense or I don't get that. I wish, I, well, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to start looking for that or whatever it is for you. So um, I, w- I want to just close with this, this, maybe this kind of push a little further on this. This series has been called Waiting for God. And on Tuesday night... I get it right? Tuesday night is Christmas Eve. Did you know that? That's, if that's news to you, uh, go to our prayer time and back, yeah. <laughs> no, but Tuesday night. And so what we're going to focus on there is that God is waiting for us. We wait a lot. And I, and I tried to use examples of that in this series. But, but God is patient. And he waits. And he waits for you to get to that point where you ask that question, what is this story I have found myself in that I've, what I, that I've fallen into? And he invites you to fall into, this is what I would say happened to me, to fall into his story. And it's a story that has no end. It goes on forever. It is really, really the best thing ever. 
And I just want, I care enough about humans to want you to know about that story. And I want you to be clear on your answer to that story or to the invitation to that story that this loving God has invited you into. So I invite you to pray with me right now. And um, I'm going to give you some words that if you can make these words real to your heart, you're part of the story. So um, wherever you are, just wherever you are with God um, in this Christmas season, in this season of life, if you can say these words, Lord, I want to be in your story. Lord, I want to be in your story. I want you to be the choreographer. Another word would be the Lord of my life. I want you to arrange my life or rearrange my life in such a way that it goes on forever. That when the curtain of my life comes down, another curtain opens up. That is so good. Now, if you can make that prayer your prayer, from your heart to God, you're in the story. And you have all the right to be called a child child of God. Jesus Christ is your Lord. He is your Savior. He's not just the Savior of the world. Lord, um, you see our hearts now. You are the great choreographer of our lives. And we are so imperfect and so in need of you. May your grace abound to us in this Christmas season, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.